Welcome to the History Raid Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Kovach. Today's topic, why was gunpowder such a big deal? If you were to ask a person on the street what weapon defines modern warfare, you'll get a consistent, reliable answer. A gun, a firearm, a handheld weapon that propels a projectile through the rapid combustion of propellants, whichever definition you prefer. An argument can be made that this is a somewhat outdated opinion, with explosives released from an aircraft, or digital weapons such as Stuxnet, weapons that allow operators on the other side of the planet to inflict crippling damage to a nation at the press of a button, are not so much the future of warfare, but the current reality we are living in. Regardless, the ubiquity and the pedigree of the firearm continues to hold true. We're looking at today's rapid-firing, highly accurate machines of death, whose muzzles continue to blaze around the world every day, their effectiveness is self-evident. But this was not always the case. If we go back to the Battle of Waterloo, 205 years ago, the average firearm present on that battlefield was a weapon so crude as to seem almost comical when compared to their modern-day descendants. Despite this, not only were these weapons considered the default weapon of any infantryman with any claim to be serving in a first-class military, but they had constituted a revolution in military affairs going back 400 years. The bows and crossbows of the 14th century Europe being seen as archaic uh, to early 19th century soldiers as the musket to modern eyes. Today, we will look at the history of the firearm and why their eclipse of previous ranged weapons was so thorough and so absolute. As with many revolutionary innovations, the firearm first appeared in China in the 11th century, taking the form of both single-shot projectile launchers and primitive flamethrowers, delivered at short range to sow shock and panic amongst the enemy ranks. Preceded by larger artillery pieces, examples of handheld firearms begin to appear in Europe in the late 14th century. These early handguns constituted little more than a metal tube, the narrow end of the gun being held under the armpit of the operator, while they used their other hand to touch a burning piece of cord to a small hole in the back of the gun's chamber, igniting the gunpowder present there and sending the projectile flying out the barrel. If the operator was lucky enough to not, to not have the weapon simply explode in his hands. These weapons took a long time to reload, from 20 seconds to a minute, depending on the experience of the operator and the conditions the weapon was being used under. The operator having to individually ram both gunpowder and a projectile down the barrel of the gun before preparing a lit fuse to fire the weapon. The weapon's unwieldy nature meant that even the pretense of aiming was impossible, and even if it had been possible, it would have counted for little. You see, a fundamental drawback of firearms, as we would see until the mid-19th century, was chronic inaccuracy. Handheld firearms only had an effective range of about 100 yards, and in practical terms, someone armed with a firearm had to be much closer 
to reliably hit a target. This was a result of the smooth-bored barrels of these early firearms. In the split second between the powder being ignited and the projectile exiting the gun's barrel, it would rattle along the smooth sides of the gun barrel, resulting in the projectile almost always exiting at a slight angle. While not an issue at close range, this slight angle would result in most shots at targets beyond 100 yards, missing by a significant margin. These drawbacks meant that in the early years of handheld firearm use in Europe, they had serious competition in the form of the bow and arrow. The Anglo-Welsh longbow boasts an effective range of 220 yards, while the Mongol-Turkic composite bow had an astounding 300 yards of effective range. An aimed shot from a trained bowman also took a mere 10 seconds, less than half the time a trained firearm user would need to reload their weapon. Finally, the bow places few logistical demands on an army. Arrows have missed their targets, can usually be retrieved and reused. Shots from firearms cannot be reused, and a soldier armed with a firearm requires regular resupply of both shot and powder. On the face of things, the only advantage a gun in the, in the 15th century held over a bow was the ability of a gun to penetrate armour. While this fact would certainly weigh on the minds of heavily armoured soldiers facing these weapons, early firearms did not have a monopoly on armour-piercing capabilities. At ranges similar to the effective range of a firearm, armour-piercing bodkin arrows were quite effective against armour, as evidenced during the Hundred Years' War, where English archers repeatedly cut down the flower of French nobility with point-blank volleys. Even as firearms became more refined over the years, becoming less cumbersome to reload, and their effective range extending out to closer to 200 yards, the image of firearm-equipped troops being mown down by accurate, rapid-firing bowmen comes easily to mind. However, to truly understand the utility of a firearm, we must go beyond the weapon itself and examine the man behind the weapon. If any of you listening have ever dabbled in archery like I have, it is much harder than it first appears. The fiddly task of placing the arrow on the string just right, the surprising level of exertion required to draw, then hold the bowstring, and finally, actually aiming the shot without gun sights. The archers of the Mongol steppes and the hills of Wales were only as devastating as they were thanks to extensive practice and physical conditioning with their chosen weapons. Hand a random person on the street a bow and ask them to hit a target, and they'll more than likely come away from the experience with a sense of frustration and stinging fingers. Operating firearms, even the more cumbersome early models, is simplicity itself in comparison. A raw recruit can learn the basics of using a firearm in an afternoon. Unlike a bow, where the user must be trained to both rapidly reload their weapon and fire their shots accurately, Firearm-equipped recruits have the luxury of focusing almost exclusively on the reloading action. Thanks to the aforementioned accuracy issues with smoothbore firearms, a slower aimed shot would only be marginally more accurate than a rapid snapshot. Bodies of men armed with firearms maximised their killing power by ensuring they could send as much shot down range as quickly as possible. This is a big reason why we see early modern era armies 
place a huge premium on discipline in their firearm-dominated armies. The highly stressful nature of a battle can reduce a deaf professional into a fumbling amateur. There is fascinating evidence from the American Civil War of the effects the terrors of battle can have on trained but ill-disciplined troops. On several Civil War battlefields, single-shot firearms containing several shots were recovered after the battle. This indicates that many trained soldiers, their minds unfocused by fear and sensory overload, began mechanically loading their weapons over and over again, forgetting to fire after loading a shot. On the flip side, many of the military successes of the highly disciplined Napoleonic era British army when facing French forces have been put down to the simple fact they could consistently fire three rounds a minute under battlefield conditions. French rates of fire, while comparable under good conditions, would often dip below three rounds a minute under pressure. The impact that the proliferation of the firearm from the early 15th century onwards cannot be overstated. The fact that a peasant could be taken from the fields and with a mere afternoon of training could now pose a similar threat to a well-equipped, highly trained member of the warrior nobility as a, as a bowman with years of training conditioning was a major sea change. The professional soldier and a citizen conscript became the way of the future not a warrior caste who bought dominance on the battlefield in the form of armour. It should be noted, however, despite what, myth, what myths popularised by the idea of honourable combat might have you believe, the firearm was not considered a peasant's weapon, somehow untouchable for members of the warrior nobility. The 1575 Battle of Nagashino in Japan saw a cavalry charge by the samurai warrior caste shattered by withering volleys of gunfire from fellow samurai. The elite slave soldiers of the Ottoman Empire, the Janissaries, were some of the earliest adopters of the firearm. Even European cavalrymen, typically from the upper classes and affected by a romance for charging with the cold steel, frequently made use of firearms. On the 16th century battlefields of Germany, Many cavalrymen would keep their swords sheathed for the duration of a battle, choosing instead to gallop at the enemy, pistols in hand, unleash a volley at point-blank range, ride away, reload their pistols, and repeat the process. Ultimately, the proliferation in the early 19th century of rifling, the process of carving rotating grooves into the barrel of a firearm, both prevented the shot coming out of the barrel at an angle and added a spin to the bullet, increasing the accuracy of the shot, further confining traditional ranged weaponry to irrelevance. If any primitive warrior continued to live in hope that the continued slow reload speed of these single-shot firearms gave his bow an edge, the invention of the breech-loading rifle, followed swiftly by the repeating rifle in the mid-19th century, placed unprecedented levels of rapid, accurate killing power in the hands of the soldiers that wielded them, dooming the venerable bow and arrow to the sphere of civilian recreation. Thank you for listening. I hope you will continue to tune in for more of this style of history content in the future. I am also looking forward towards creating more free-form discussion-style content with co-hosts and guests. Stay tuned for that and more in our future Raids into History.